Hey there, stylish ThoughtBot podcast listener. We're back with another ThoughtBot swag sale. For the rest of the year, you can show your support for our podcast with shirts, pint glasses, and even limited edition socks. We have two new designs specifically for giant robots and bike shed t-shirts that have only before been available at conferences. For the production and shipping, we are proud to once again be partnering with Social Imprints, who provide career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. Last week, I went to my kid's classroom as the mystery reader. So he's in, he's in kindergarten. So you just like, it's a parent or relative or whatever that comes in in the morning and reads a book. And so I got there and uh, I was dressed up for the occasion. Not really. Mm. I was dressed up because we had our fancy dinner that night. Oh, gotcha. So, uh, you know, she, she was like, wow, you're dressed up for this, for this occasion. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is very important to me. <laughs> and then, she, you know, the teacher is giving me the rundown. She's like, you know, the kids are going to have questions during the book. They'll put their hands up, hopefully, and you can call on them or not. But, you know, you might have to cut them off and like all this other stuff. Like, you you know, they might not really be questions. And I was like, I was like, I've spoken at conferences before. I'm familiar with this type of this line of questioning. And then sure enough, like first page, five hands go up. So I'm like, yeah, go ahead. What's your question? And this girl's like, this is a rhyming book. (laughs) Yep. "Uh You would do well at tech conferences, young one. Did you already have your Palooza thing? We did. Okay, we can talk about that. Yeah. But I do want to talk about your conference talk. Yeah, we it can went, definitely do that. It went well. It did. It went really well. Yeah, it was well attended as you yes. as you joked. Um, it was. <laughs> I think as much as I would love to take all the credit for that, um, it was Kotlin Conf, and it was actually my first language conference, so I wasn't even sure what to expect in terms of, I use Kotlin for Android. Um, at that point, I hadn't used it for anything else, so... I have only ever been to Android conferences, and so it was interesting to see how people are using the same language. We're like, oh my god, I can read that, but I have no idea what you're talking about outside of the fact that I can read it. And I saw like early on in your presentation, I only watched your presentation yeah. from the conference, but I, yeah. but like early on you were like, and this is going to be about using Kotlin for Android. Yeah. And I was like, is there is there something else that you can, you, that, I yeah. mean, I know you can do something, yeah. but is there something else that people are doing with it? Yeah, you can write servers in it, you can write backend in it. Um, I think because it compiles down to the JVM, pretty much anything you could could do in Java, you can now do in Kotlin. I think Spring has their like web client that you used to be able to write Java and you can now use Kotlin for. You can write JavaScript uh, or there's like a JavaScript arch or whatever the word is I'm forgetting. Um, like bridge? something, yeah, bridge. Thank you, a uh, bridge <laughs> that you can write JavaScript in it. A lot of different things, um, and there are people talk. You can write iOS apps now because there's uh, with Kotlin native the introduction of Kotlin native. They actually have a way to basically bridge uh, Kotlin to C. And so if you can get to C, you can get to like some of the core iOS frameworks, which is kind of crazy. I went to the talk and you're watching it, you're like, okay. And then like he was running an iOS simulator, like, oh my God, like, <laughs> I'm not sure I could reproduce this, but it was, it saw it and it was real. So, But that's not the kind of thing that you could like write once and then be like, look, I have an iOS app and an Android app. Like, no, Because you're yeah. still calling into actual native, native, uh, yeah. native APIs. But uh-huh. I don't know, I guess maybe somebody could build a React. Is there like a React native type thing that's like... You said you mentioned Kotlin native. What's Kotlin native? Uh, Kotlin native just allows you, I believe, to compile Kotlin code without the JVM. So you can just compile Kotlin so it can be used for like things like Raspberry Pis or it allows it basically so you sep- it is a way to separate it from um, Java. 
okay. and the JVM. Cool. And I also just like perusing the list of things that were in the playlist to the side as your talk was going on. I saw somebody just talking about building React apps in yep. Kotlin. Yep. And that must be using that JavaScript bridge that yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. All right. Pretty exciting. I like yeah. Kotlin as a language like... If I had to pick just like looking between, I'm not a mobile developer, so yep. like looking at like what Swift looks like and yeah. looking like, I'd rather like Kotlin that looks more interesting Yeah, I think there are things about Swift that I definitely like. Um, I think the difference for me is the thing that I like the most is Kotlin feels more stable to me than Swift. Um, it does feel like Apple keeps introducing every year there's like a new Swift version and it's breaking changes. And that might just be the fact from like hearsay from uh, the iOS engineers, which is that they've coupled the tooling to the language, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, so at least Kotlin is separate, uh, which is nice, but it does, and does feel more stable, especially because of the fact that it has to compile down to the JVM, and that thing hasn't changed in <laughs> a long time. <laughs> right, they don't make cha breaking changes. To the yeah, JVM. yeah, that reminds me of like when I was doing C sharp development years ago. Like a new version of Visual Studio would come out, and you'd be like, "Oh, well, this writes C sharp 2.0." Yeah, or whatever. And then eventually, it came to the point where you could actually like select the the like, "Oh, I want to target Visual Studio, whatever." Yeah, which was itself weird, but yeah, um, I think Xcode has something similar to that, but it's still like not a pleasant experience. Just again from like reading iOS developers on Twitter, you're like, oh god, this seems awful. Xcode has never really seemed like a pleasant experience to me. And I've no. taken like I've I've only done like, oh, let's do a tutorial on building an iOS app. And yeah. It's always been like almost any IDE. Like I'm spoiled by having used Visual Studio, which is as much as I just said, like that yeah. was kind of a pain in the butt, the versioning part. But like yeah. Visual Studio itself is awesome. And I don't know if Android Studio is it basically IntelliJ? Yep. Okay. It's just an IntelliJ wrapper. So it's okay. it's very good. It's very stable. Um, I like it a lot. Um, I think we are spoiled. I think the people at JetBrains also helps they write Kotlin now. Um, they understand tooling and they understand it from a developer mindset. And I think my issue with Xcode personally is always, I don't think they even know who they're building it for. Because I think it's a mix of like developers who actually know how to code and want to use things like Vim. And then people who just want to build iOS apps like using an entire like GUI. And so it's this weird mix of like, what level of developer are you building this for? And I think if they just committed to one, it would probably be better. Yeah, perhaps. And like the uh, JetBrains people like in Ruby land, they make basically the only idea I've ever seen anybody use for Ruby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. which is RubyMine, which is based on IntelliJ. Yeah. Like everything yeah, they write Pi is based on Pi 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 yeah. yeah, All mm -hmm. that stuff, WebStorm yeah. and things like that. And like I just I've, think the whole system of like having plugins available, like it's a really extendable system. So it allows like the core functionality to be working all the time and unchanging and obviously make improvements. But because of the way the plugins work, I think that that is a nice thing that Xcode just doesn't have at all. Yeah. And I think if I ever went, like I still use Vim for everything. I don't use RubyMine, but I have, and I see why people do use it. Mm -hmm. It just strikes me as like incomplete because there's so much dynamic stuff about Ruby that it's yeah. like, oh, it got so close here, but yeah. not quite. But if I ever went back to something that had more strong typing, yeah, I think an IDE. Like I know you can do that stuff in Vim. I don't yeah. know. What do you do? You still write? Do you write Kotlin and Vim and just use Android Studio for like compilation stuff, or do you write it I, all? I like I have a Vim plugin for Android Studio, so I use Android Studio and. I basically have Vim for all the basic functionality. It does get a little weird. There are some things that I don't use Vim for, like the IDE key bindings, which work just fine. But that's it's like a weird bastardized, I think, uh, Vim, as opposed to if you just actually use proper Vim. Right. And that's where I've always, like, like Paul from our office, now he also has Chad trying out Visual Studio Code, yeah. mm -hmm. which is actually really nice. Like, I've seen his setup, and it seems nice, but it just seems like, as soon as you're like, and then I use it with Vim bindings, I'm like, yeah. oh, but this Ooh. particular Vim binding doesn't yeah. work. And then, like, oh, I've got to drop down to, like, I've got to change the way my mind thinks of, like, now I have to issue command something, rather, because yep. I'm issuing commands to the application, not yeah. to my editor kind of yeah. thing. And that's where it always falls down for me. But I would yeah. like to try it. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm jealous of some of those 
stuff I've seen in Visual Studio Code. Mm, but again, I think out. just a lot of the dynamicism, <laughs> the dynamic nature of Ruby yeah. kind of, I don't know how good it can be at that stuff other than just being like, I don't know, here's a thing, here's a term I've seen in your app. You want to yeah. autocomplete that? Right. Rather than like, yeah. I know exactly the type of object you're dealing with and here's what you can do. And oh, by the way, here's the documentation on that method and yeah. here are the parameters it takes. And it was interesting at CollinConf, there was um, someone who gave a talk on um, linting. His name is Tor. He spoke at, I think, a million miles a minute, but one of the really cool things they've been doing with Kotlin and linting and like showing helpful tips is it's not just like, let me auto-complete this for you. Sometimes you'll write a statement and for example, you'll do a for loop and it'll be like, do you want to maybe try this new Kotlin feature that would write it this way? And like, that is really cool. So they're not warning so much as it's like actually education tools, which I think is an incredible thing that I wouldn't have thought about originally. Because you think of an ID as just being helpful for autocomplete or formatting or import kind of stuff, but it's actually now an education tool as well. Yeah, and that's that reminds me, again, going back to my C-sharp days and going back to JetBrains is they wrote a tool called ReSharper which was a lot of the same stuff you were just talking about on top of Visual Studio. So oh. you would, like, I would write C-sharp, and that's, I think it's how I learned like C-sharp 2.0. I only yeah. knew 1.0, and I'm in 2.0, so I'm writing stuff from 1.0, and it's like, yeah. hey, would you like to write it like this? Yep. Or like I would write SQL statements and be like, do you want to use link, which is like some new SQL thing? And I was yeah. like, yeah, all right. And Perfect. I was like, oh, I, love, I like how that looks. That's yeah. interesting. And that's how I learned. Like it actually taught me a lot of the new features of the language, Yeah. which is really powerful and something I would never get from yeah. them, right? Yep. <laughs> and same thing, you can actually, um, if you paste Java code in, it will be like, do you want me to convert this to Colin for you? And so I think <laughs> if you're learning, it's awesome because you're like, oh, you know exactly what the Java code looks like and you can see it back to back to be like, oh, this is what this function looks like in Kotlin. It doesn't do a perfect job because anything, anytime anything besides a human generates code, and even if a human generates it, there are going to be some weird um, problems and idiosyncrasies, especially with nullability. But it's a really cool tool, I think, for beginners. Yeah. Now you're making me long for mm. long for it again <laughs> to get back into it. So we just had our end of the year Palooza yes. event here, mm -hmm. which is like for folks who don't know, which is anybody who doesn't work at ThoughtBot. Yes, uh, that's <laughs> most our, people. Each one of our local offices has like an end of the year event where we usually have our investment day on Friday, but we also take an investment day on Thursday. And I don't know how it is. You were doing yours in your San Francisco office, obviously. Yep. But in Boston, it's like a pretty intense couple yeah. of days where it's mm -hmm. like everybody's, oh my God. And like we have demos at four o'clock. You're supposed to like demo something hopefully shippable at yep. that point. And like mm -hmm. people are like freaking out at, you know, 350 to try yeah, and get the last similar. five changes in, that kind of thing. So um, we just went through that. What'd you work on? I actually worked on Kotlin Native. Um, okay. So one of our designers in San Francisco, um, he's the coolest person, I think. Probably works at ThoughtBot, but definitely in the San Francisco office. And so in leading the charge... I don't want to <laughs> insult anybody, but is it Tyler? It is Tyler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he had an idea for, um, in San Francisco, if you've ever taken BART, um, there are train signs. Most train stations or subways everywhere have these signs. But it just says what line is coming in and how many minutes. And a lot of people in the San Francisco office uh, commute from Oakland. And so he had this idea of building... Um, you can buy your own train sign. It's $300, which was a little bit outside the budget of user best judgment. <laughs> so we wanted to build something that did tell the people in the office, like a sign that we could put up so they knew when the next BART was. Mm -hmm. There were a bunch of different options. We decided to kind of go with the Raspberry Pi route. And originally we had crazy ideas with like lights, LED light strips and like we could display full text. And then we kind of got talking into how many, uh, like if you think of a scoreboard with a grid of like three by I think six kind of dots, and then you could just show the time and whatever color it was, that would mean the train. There was a bunch of different iterations. It turns out that getting a single LED light to light up on a Raspberry Pi, if you're using languages and frameworks you've never heard of, is really complicated. So for our presentation, we just had three lights, <laughs> one LED that was red, one that was blue, and it just 
blinked. I think that was the end result that we got. Um, so not quite up to our original expectations. But um, yeah, it was a ton of fun. And I think we bought more lights to actually properly do it in the future. It was just the two-day deadline with the addition of trying to get hardware. It's really hard to buy hardware anywhere anymore because mm. everyone expects you to buy it on Amazon or somewhere on the internet. And so if you have just two days and you start talking about this Thursday morning, you're like, I can't get anything in person by Friday afternoon. And even if you're like, we did a similar project. I wasn't on the team here, but we did a similar project where Justin had bought these like LED board things. And yep. it, we have it upstairs on the seventh floor. A breadboard? Kind of, yeah. It, well, it just... If you see it up on seven, yeah. it just has an image of each one of the conference room oh, logo, each gotcha. one of the conference room logos. Oh, the robots, yeah. Yeah, the robots. And like they change to red if the conference room's not available, oh, that kind of cool. thing. But like I remember listening to, it was like Chad and Justin and a couple other people doing it. I just remember listening to them swear about like they couldn't get anything to light up and it turned out like they had the wires wired backwards or like just yep. various things. They had to do yep. things in C and like yeah. it's the kind of thing. And then like Justin thought he had everything that he needed and then it was like, oh, actually, like we need this one thing. And yep. like there used to be a Radio Shack downstairs and now there isn't because Radio Shack's not a thing anymore. Exactly. That and was like, exactly <laughs> our situation. <laughs> yep. You miss things like that, obviously. Yeah. The two-day deadline, I really enjoy it. It's funny because like right before we were doing our presentation. Um, what did two... you do? So, I, oh, we did. So every week I have to listen to this podcast on very, very fast speed because mm-hmm. I've already talked about it, but I need yeah. to like jog my memory on what we said because I do the show notes for the um, podcast. And so the way I do that is like Tom has a Trello card and I add the show notes to there, which have to be in Markdown so they get rendered. And then also the Markdown gets copied out to Simplecast, which accepts Markdown for show notes. So it's like, all right. So each time I do that, I go and I'm like, oh, we talked about uh, this GitHub issue. Let Mm -hmm. me go look up that GitHub issue, copy it, paste it into here. Oh, I should give it a title. So let me give it a title. And I like do all that manually. And I was like, oh, you know, I kind of want like a bookmarklet for this. And I'm sure something like this exists. And But then I also have to be able to get Markdown out of it. So... That was my first thing. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll just build this thing. But how am I going to convince anybody to build to work yeah. on like a show notes bot for yeah. me? So we started thinking about generalizing it more. And so now it's more of like a way to compile a list of aggregated links on a subject and oh, okay. like give some context around it. Yeah. So the example we gave is um, in our development chat room, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago now, there was a conversation about pairing practices, like how, like what are some good articles on pairing and yeah. different setups and different tactics for mm-hmm. us- using during pairing. And a lot of really good links came out of that. Yeah. And we thought it'd be cool to have like one page that maybe like, maybe you go to like this app slash ThoughtBot slash pairing. Yeah. And it's like all of ThoughtBot's like best links on pairing. Oh, cool. I don't know if you worked here when we had like trail maps. No. So we had this idea for a while. Um, we just stopped maintaining them, but there were this idea of trail maps. It was like, if you're a beginning Ruby developer, here's what you should know. Oh. Intermediate Ruby developer, yeah. here's what you should know. And each one of them was a link to like blog posts or training or something oh, like cool. that. And I was yeah. like, oh, it's kind of like a return to that. Yeah. And also I can use it for show notes, which I just did yep. for the last episode that went out. I used and it, it worked? To, yeah, it works. Nice. Not prepared to say the URL yet because yeah. <laughs> of, as these things go, as yep. you were just talking about, you're like, oh, we have some more work to yep. do here. Mm-hmm. But um in the morning when I like pitched this idea, there were a few people interested and I originally pitched it as like a web app we could potentially write in Crystal, Ooh, okay. which uh, Paul Smith, somebody who works here, has written Lucky, which is a web framework for Crystal. And I was like, we could do that because yeah. I thought it might be more appealing to people. Yeah. 
the team that ended up forming was me and Chris, who mm-hmm. has been here the same amount of time and have done a few of these Ralph Palooza things. Yeah. And then Rachel and Herman, who were new to Ralph Palooza this year. Yeah. And so they were kind of like, yeah, maybe Elixir. And I was like, yeah, I could probably do, I could definitely do Elixir. I've written yeah. Elixir apps before. And then we were like, well, maybe, you know, you guys have worked on Scala before. Maybe we could do the Scala oh, web app. God. And Chris was just like, no, we're using <laughs> Rails because I want to finish a thing. And yeah. Was like, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'll do. we ended up writing it in Rails. And it was like, on one hand, it was like, oh, well, we didn't really learn anything. Right. We did a couple new things within the Rails app, but yeah. like nothing earth shattering. Um, we didn't really learn anything new, but we also got to something usable pretty yep. quickly. Like I was yeah. able to use it this week to do what I want. And yeah. like it just need, it needs some design help and a couple more features and things like that. We had some projects like that in San Francisco where everyone was like, I just want to build something. Like I they they cared more about just working with coworkers and having fun than the overhead of trying to learn something new, which I can totally empathize with because I'm not all embarrassed to admit that when I started the Kotlin Native uh, tutorial, I found um, this tutorial online that showed how to work with Kotlin Native, specifically with the Raspberry Pi and then specifically with lighting up LEDs. And the first line in the tutorial is like, you obviously have to run this on a Linux VM. And I just read right past that. And so I'm trying to run all these things on my Mac and nothing is working. And I'm just getting like increasingly frustrating. I'm like, and I was Googling the errors and the errors didn't make any sense. I couldn't find anything on Stack Overflow for why I was getting these errors. And then I realized several hours into it that I was obviously not running it on a Linux machine and that would be why. (laughs) (laughs) So I can see why people don't want to try something new. Right. Yeah. And in the past, I've been on teams that are like trying to do something new. And I'm always jazzed about it for the first day. And then the second day, I'm like, is there a part of this that's a bit more familiar that I could just like get, yep. feel like I got something done? Yeah. Because there is that idea that like, we're going to share what we did yep. on Thursday. And I mm-hmm. like I like that because it makes it different from any other Friday that we typically have, which yeah. is like kind of more open-ended. And yep. hopefully after a series of weeks or months, you have you know a string of things that you have come out of investment time. But like, this is more like... Show us what you got. Yeah. And this year we even had a um, People's Choice Award. Ooh. Where we, did it, we did it by applause. Like who. Uh, Very nice. You know, who got the most applause. And it was like. Chad had to be the judge, but it was basically like everyone got a very polite round of applause. <laughs> <It really helps. laughs> like golf clap. <laughs> yeah. One team did write an app in Crystal with the Lucky Ooh. Framework okay. um, about like tracking events that we're hosting or going to and things oh, cool. like that and like, yeah. putting reminders in Slack because oftentimes like we found one of the things in our office is like somebody will mention it stand up like, oh, by the way, I'm speaking at this meetup tonight. And right. they're like, oh, well, I can't. It's yeah. too late for me to do that now. Yeah. But if you would told me on Monday. Yeah. And they're like, well, I did say it in stand up. And they're like, well, I wasn't that stand up. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of thing. And their experience was actually really good for using that. So I want to have Paul on the show at some point to tell us more about, yeah. about that because I think it's pretty promising. It's, it's Ruby-like with types. So yeah. Rails-inspired framework. So that's cool. I'm trying to think of what other projects. Oh, we had a group of people. So it's not just technical projects. We had a group of people do screen printing. Oh, like, that's right. Learn how to that do looked really printing. cool. Yeah, it looked really involved. Yeah. And uh, it was cool to see. Like I got, we, at the end, when we did the presentation, they just showed us how it worked. And I yeah. was like, I had no idea that's how screen printing worked. Yeah. And you actually got to do it. And they're like talking about like doing more of it and putting up the art around the office. So that's oh, cool. nice. We had one where like, um, have you seen Frank, Frankiac? No. It's like a GIF. It's a search engine for Simpsons quotes. Amazing. And then it gives you like a GIF from using like the closed caption yeah. data. It gives you a GIF of like when that quote happened. That's fantastic. And so John. I have a, a Dropbox folder of literally just Simpson GIFs and Simpson means that I like save and then there like randomly browse through. This is so much more efficient. <laughs> so you should check that out. 
So John, he started, which I think is a little bit cheating, mm-hmm. but he started before Ralphapalooza. Oh, okay. It's a little little bit of cheating, yeah, but just, you know, yeah. okay. Well, excuse um, it. On this app where he, you could like upload arbitrary, like here's my videos for oh, The Office. Yeah. Is the example he mm-hmm. used, he owns The Office season one. So here's yeah. my, here are my videos for The Office season one. Here's the closed caption data that goes with that. Oh my gosh, And then yes. like piecing that together. And so yeah. like they, so they have that. And that yeah. was, it was pretty cool to see. Like, I think they only had... They only had The Office season one and like one movie or something like that. There's all sorts of rights issues. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how the Simpsons things work. So yeah. like I was talking to somebody about it and they're like, well, if you're only sharing small clips, it's actually fair use if you oh, own the source material. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, no, you seem to be distributing it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> but, interesting. I remember for a summit when I gave, uh, I gave a talk on the Pixar theory and I own all the Pixar movies and I really wanted to take screenshots of the movies to use in the talk and I own them in HD and so it seemed like I should be able to do this but because of how iTunes works there's no way like you can't take a screenshot of iTunes when it's playing content because it like grays it out Mm. and so it was these weird I was like I own this I don't know why (laughs) this is so difficult but I just ended up having to like find on Google Images like pictures to use but I if someone had a tool that would allow me to take iTunes movies that I own and then just take screenshots to use pictures. And again, I have no idea if that's illegal and I'm asking someone to break the law, but it would have been helpful for me this summer. That was my favorite talk of of our summer summit. Yes. It was my favorite talk that I've ever given. It's on YouTube now, right? It is, yeah. Okay, so we can link to it and people can see it in the show notes. Uh, There's... uh, a conspiracy, I guess. Yes. Would you say it's a conspiracy? I or think just so. A... Just a theory, really. Okay. <laughs> I think conspiracy has a pejorative tone, and it's yeah. Pixar, so to be negative seems aggressive. Yeah, there's nothing negative about it, yeah. really, except for the whole cars taking over. Yeah, it's more of a unified universe theory, which is that all <laughs> yes. Pixar, the idea is that all Pixar uh, movies take place in the same universe. And it is by no means my original theory. I think what made that talk so kind of just ridiculous was that during Summit, we all give lightning, uh, not we all, but... So like people um, volunteer to give lightning talks. And so I volunteered to give this talk and the talks were supposed to be five minutes and mine ended up being 19. (laughs) And while I was talking, uh, one of the office managers kept holding up her phone to show me how long I had been talking for. But I thought she was showing me the time because it said like 12 (laughs) and it was like in the middle of like the morning afternoon. So I said like 11 and I was like, I'm not going to do the math while I'm giving this presentation of how many minutes I've been talking for. (laughs) Didn't even occur to me that I'd been talking for 11 minutes. So I just kept going. I saw that in the front row. I saw when she was doing that in the front row. I was like, I don't think Amanda has any idea what's nope, happening right now. I, I, I just literally <laughs> thought it was the time of day. And, I, and then like at some point it like came back as like 13, I think. And then I was like, I, I have no idea what, what these numbers are. What does 13 mean? <laughs> that doesn't mean anything in time. And it didn't occur to me like, oh, this is just like a clock. Like she's just a stopwatch. But... But it didn't matter because people no. like the talk. They yes, were into that's it. true. Yeah. If you were boring us, then we would have been, yeah, we would have walked shut out. Shut it up. Yeah. People yeah. would have just gotten out. <laughs> so are you doing anything fun for the end of the year? Are you taking any time off going anywhere? I don't think so. I should probably take some time off after Christmas. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I think I'm going to do that. I always have this dilemma with vacations where I want to both actually go on vacation or do nothing staycation. But then there's all those like kind of to do's like even though we have investment day, which is a great opportunity to like do side projects or things you want to work on. If there's like a new language you want to learn, I'm always like, maybe I'll just take a couple of days off and then work. But then you're like, work thinks I've taken time off, but my body knows that I haven't taken time off. So it's just like, I don't know what to do. So you say take a couple of days off and work, like just be yeah, like, like, I'm going to take a couple yeah. days off, but work on whatever I want exactly. without feeling guilty about work. Or having to be on Slack and you just like really get to like work on whatever you want. And that always sounds so attractive to me. But then I'm like, I don't have, that's actually not time off. And so that's counterproductive sometimes. So yeah. when we had the unlimited time off policy, yeah. we had a developer who took time off and then came into the office to work on open source work. <laughs> I totally empathize with that. I that makes like, perfect sense to me. 
It's like, oh, you found the loophole in the system. Yep. Now you are working on paid open source. Yes. Well done. <laughs> so yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I have a list of things that we could possibly talk about. What do you think about mm. Derek Jeter Whoa. buying a baseball team with somebody else's money mm -hmm. and then immediately sending yeah. the team's best player back to the Yankees, back to the Yankees yeah. for nothing, essentially? Yeah. I think it's a mess. I okay. think it's a total mess, and I think it's embarrassing for baseball. It's a bit of an extreme, but I, I do think it's embarrassing. I think I don't think this whole trade process made John Carlos Stanton look particularly good either, and not just because he of refused it. to go to the Giants. Yeah, not just because he refused <laughs> to go to the Giants. Um, I think he and his agent misled a bunch of teams about the severity of which he was actually looking at these teams. Um, I don't think it looks good for the Marlins to. I think they pressured him into the situation that he ended up in, and like we absolutely need to sell you today, and it's like just because you can't afford him. I think the whole thing was just a mess. Yeah, it seems basically brought on by the fact that they couldn't afford to own the team in the first place. Right. <laughs> yes. But they were like, oh, Derek Jeter could own a baseball team. We yep. want that to happen. And right. Then, yeah, interesting. And then he ends up going. I don't think there was any sort of like grand conspiracy no, to send him to the either. Yankees. Yeah. But I do enjoy the conspiracy theory. Absolutely. I love yes. propagating conspiracy yes. theories. Yes. <laughs> yep. And everybody who listens to this podcast usually is now saying like, yeah, <laughs> what is this baseball? I was, I was in it for rails and now we're talking about Jared Dieter. <laughs> Let's see. What else is on my list here? Yeah. React Native. I want to get your thoughts on oh, React Native because yes. I know you're not a huge fan. I am not Native. a huge fan, but I just last week finished, I think my third or fourth week on a React Native project. Okay. And I don't know if it's a case of um, imposter syndrome or it's a reality that I do, do, in fact, not know any JavaScript. That's not imposter syndrome. I don't know JavaScript. Mm -hmm. But I can read English, and I know other programming languages. And I think that, so as a native mobile developer, um, I think a lot of the times when web developers come to me with React Native questions, it's always about specifically Gradle, and the, which is the build process for Android. And in a regular Android app, I am not doing half of the crazy things that React Native is doing to try and build the app. And so a lot of the problems are wild. Like, I don't even know how, if I wanted to, I couldn't get an app into that kind of state. So that's always interesting because you feel like people are coming to you, oh, you're an Android developer, help me. And you're like, I, I couldn't do this if I wanted to because right. now I'm coming up against the hundreds of Facebook engineers who have decided that this is how React Native is going to work with Gradle, but like, I don't understand it all. That was originally why I kind of came on as I think it was actually like a Gradle problem. And so I solved that one, got kind of lucky. I was like, oh, this is actually an Android thing, so I can do this. Mm -hmm. um, and then the dependency management, I think, is another funky thing that isn't great. There is no other way to do it, I get. I, I'm not the person who would come up with it anyway. But for Android, again, the build system is where you declare dependencies deterministically. And I think in web, it's a lot more common to not do that. So it'll like just point to some library and maybe the version, it just like pulls the latest version. And that can really mess with Android things, especially because if you have a dependency on an Android library and another library that you're using points to a different Android library, that can cause conflicts. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have any way to debug that because none of the dependencies are deterministic, that gets really frustrating. So that I don't enjoy. But mm -hmm. then I did just find myself getting lucky with some of the JavaScript. And I think using RxJava and reactive programming in Android has, was really honestly the thing that helped me the most. Because you're like, OK, understand this concept of React, at least from a high level. but yeah, I don't enjoy not having types. I like types a lot. And so switching to React, the biggest concern for me was that there are no types. And so you're reading functions and you're like, I don't know what this returns. And I don't think the function knows what it returns. Yeah, I've only done very little React Native, like, again, during investment time and things like that. And it's always seemed like 
I understand what I'm doing when I'm writing the JavaScript because I do know JavaScript. Yep. And so I understand that part. And then there's this big mysterious thing that happens to get me into a simulator. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, I yeah. don't know what I don't know what's going on there. Yep. But like cool. Yeah. Um and I think that some of the stuff you talked about, like the non deterministic dependencies, there's some stuff that's happening to make that better. Like with that's good. bigger more stuff's have been taken with like things like Yarn yeah. and NPM version five mm -hmm. where you get like a lock file. It's oh, like okay. here are the actual versions of your yeah. dependencies. If you would like to update them, you must actually say Got it. update this version of the dependency. Yeah. But that is definitely true that that was and maybe perhaps still is like the norm of like I semantically said you can give me three point X point X and exactly. now I'm relying on the developer to just know, yeah. know that like they will never break this contract. And yep. there are no types, so I can't tell if you're breaking the contract exactly. or not, but that type of thing. But I see why it's appealing to people who need apps. Oh, absolutely. Right? From a like, business perspective, it makes perfect sense to me. Right, but I wish it was better. Yeah. <laughs> and and from like an app user, I think there are likely uses of, of React Native that I don't know are React Native, but I yep. feel like I can almost always tell that like this is different. Yeah. And it... It's fine. Mm -hmm. I think it's an okay starting point, but yeah. I think that you probably reach a point where you're like, now we want to be native on both the platforms. But yeah. I think that that's an okay trade-off to make depending on the stage of your business. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of really good pros to, to React Native. I, again, my qualms are mostly with JavaScript, and then I have some other ones with React Native specifically in terms of how it works on mobile and performance and memory. I think a lot of that's just hard to do to like abstract on top of, but separate conversation. I think the things that I do like, though, are the tooling. And I think mobile would benefit greatly from some of the tooling that web developers have. During Ralph Palooza, we paired a, uh, I paired a little bit with a web developer, and it's awesome what you guys have compared to <laughs> what mobile developers have. I mean, simple things, but like live reloading, that's a mm -hmm. wild concept that like they kind of have started to introduce on Android um, with Instant Run, but it's not as dependable or um, as nice. And also like any of the Chrome debugging tools, um, all the inspectors, we just don't have it at that level. Um, and so that's amazing. Cool. That I'm really jealous of. So I do hope that both Apple and Google see React Native, and as much as they obviously are invested in native, they see what are the pros and what people do enjoy about it, because the tooling to me is one of the nicest things. Yeah. Like you said, I think that JavaScript is the is the hang-up, at least for yeah. me. And I know there's a lot of people who really, really love JavaScript. I'm yeah. just not one of them, and yeah. it's okay. Yeah. You can love your JavaScript, but like we... For the React Native app that mm -hmm. I've worked on, which was Purple Train, yep. we at one point, or actually I think its current state is it's written in Elm Native UI, which yeah. is like this bridge to React. Interesting. And it was cool to write like basic stuff in it because yeah. you write it in Elm. And I don't know Elm either, but yeah. I know Haskell-ish and yeah. it's close enough. And like I can kind of like, and so like I worked on one feature of that with Ian here and mm -hmm. it was really awesome to just be like, it was like, well, where do we want to start? We want to like introduce this new thing to this code path here. And I was like, well, where should we start? And Ian was just like, anywhere. It doesn't matter. Let's oh. just start here. Yeah. And like, then we'll just follow the compiler errors. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But then the problems we had with that were like, it's a leaky abstraction into, oh, Elm, yeah. la into Elm land. Yeah. And we often had to write, like we eventually wanted to do push notifications. And I think that entire oh. code is just JavaScript. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. one, actually one of the Ralph Abuza projects is Ian who has now written this app twice, once yep. in React Native, once in Elm Native UI, yep. is now writing it in Swift. And, yeah, <laughs> and then, I think people no, and then Colin, Alex yeah. is writing it in Kotlin. As like, why don't we do two native apps yep. out of it? And it's really, it's a good project because like, it's one of those projects, yep. it's like simple enough concept, yep. simple enough UI, not a lot of complex interactions. Yep. So you can learn a lot of, like it taught a lot of people on our team React Native, and it yeah. taught a lot of people on our team Elm. That's awesome. And uh, now people are going to get another Swift and, yeah. <laughs> and Kotlin project out of it. So it's like a perfect investment slash Ralph project that worked out well. But 
there's so much that stuff that like once I had the app and I'm a user of the app because mm-hmm. I live on the commuter rail. Oh, perfect. So like once I had the app, I was like, oh, I actually want a lock screen uh, widget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, can I do that in React Native? And it was like, mm, no, not yeah. really yet. And like, right. oh, I want, and then like Ian has a watch and yeah. it's like, I can't a watch, do a yeah. watch app. Can't do like, yeah. so all sorts of stuff that we just wanted to do that yeah. for our 38 users. Right, we exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's one of those it's hard enough, I think, for the individual frameworks to come up with an abstraction for, uh, I have this blog post that I've been writing for about a year now. Um, by writing, I mean, I keep trying, like adding a note to myself of, oh, I should talk about that in the blog post, but <laughs> about the core differences between what I see as like the big differences between Android and iOS in terms of frameworks. And one of them is lists and how the frameworks individually abstract the concept of showing a list of items. For Android, for example, they use the thing called Recycler View, which in its name itself reminds you that like views can be recycled, which is like more efficient. Um, so especially if it's like the you know, data cells, if you think about like the commuter rail, if you're scrolling really quickly, it would be incredibly expensive to just have to reinflate every view from scratch. Whereas if it's just the data that's changing, they can do that more efficiently and they handle all of that for you. Mm-hmm. And I think on the iOS side, it's a totally different approach in terms of like the components that make up how you show a list. And so for React Native to come on top of what are already two abstractions, you have how Android does it, how iOS does it, and they're like, we're going to come up with a third abstraction, I think is really hard. And I think that that's where when you say you notice some of the differences, I think, and with performance especially, like the frameworks are trying to be as performant as possible for you and for the code that you're writing. But when you're abstracting on top of it, that becomes more difficult to do. So like, again, I know Android a little bit better, but for Recycler View, there's Recycler View is just a view group. So it's just a collection of views. And then it has this other class called an adapter, which is the thing that binds your data and tells you it has three methods you have to override, like on create view and then on bind view, which takes some data, which is not attached to the adapter, but takes whatever you want and then actually attaches it to the view. So those are the two kind of components that you're working with. And in iOS, it's not that. It's something different that I don't remember at this time because I haven't written iOS in like six months, but it's a fundamentally different approach. And so I think to Again, like I said, to come up on top of both of those and try and make it both work is hard because there's such different ideologies and approaches to showing it like a data, uh, a list of data. So you do iOS development as well? Uh, Dabble? Yeah, I dabble. Um, I do it on the side. I used to do a lot of work with an iOS developer in San Francisco, um, and it was just helpful for me to be able to review his PRs. And if we were on the same project, I knew all the business logic. I knew all the designs, the projects. So it was easier if I could code review if I actually had knew something about iOS. Do you think it's like, so this is more of a broad question, but yeah. do you think it's like almost necessary if you're a mobile developer to be like aware of both of these platforms? Or do you think you could go your whole career and just be like, I'm an Android developer, I'm an iOS developer? I think that's a probably a question you could apply to, like, do you, you know, as a web, developer, a web developer, do you yeah. feel like you need to know every language? Like, is there, I, I don't know enough about the individual languages, but, you mm-hmm. know, do you feel you need to be involved in mobile? Do you feel you need to know SQL? Do you need to know, all, it, it can right. apply anywhere. So it's, a, I think it's a personal preference thing. And I I like doing it because I like being able to talk to other people. And I think it's interesting to understand, especially like it's so easy to be in mobile and be like, I'm team Android and I hate iOS. But like, obviously, like there are really smart engineers working on that platform too. And maybe there are things we can learn about the way they approach frameworks and the things that they do. So I took it more of a learning approach and I found it interesting and allowed me to communicate better with teammates because they're not always Android developers everywhere. And maybe they're more iOS developers. So if you want to work with people got to make some compromises. Yeah, you drew the corollary to like learning any any language or yeah. any skill really and that's always like 
I remember the first language I learned being like, oh, Pearl, Pearl is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you learn the second language and you're like, Pearl is stupid. This yeah. new language is great. And yeah. then eventually you learn enough new languages that you're like, actually, each language kind of has its right. benefits. Yeah. And the advantage of learning a new language is I get to look at like the way that this language solves this problem. Exactly. And see if maybe like, even though I'm not writing that language every day, is there something I can take from that? Right. Like, so in the iOS and Android, is there some sort of way that they look at this problem on iOS that's more applicable to Android or vice versa? Exactly. Yeah. And being able to do that, particularly when you're in consulting where yeah. like the work is different exactly. every time. You know, I could see if you worked for a major company who had mobile applications, you may never need to know. Like, yeah. I, yeah. That's the iOS app. I don't yeah. really know anything about that. Like, and that I think that's one of the reasons why React Native actually from a business perspective is so attractive. Uh, Netflix is always my go-to company for this example where... Netflix has an app on iOS, Android, Apple TV. I think they have a Roku app. They probably have an Amazon app, um, like six platforms right there. And none of those developers, depending on, again, I don't know anything about the internals of Netflix, but hypothetically, from the, like in the beginning, when you're solving modeling problems, you're solving business logic problems, someone on the iOS team might not necessarily communicate with someone on the Android team. So now you're having to pay not only two developers to develop two apps, but you're not getting to take advantage of the fact that these developers might be able to learn from each other and work with each other. And that's, unless like you have an amazing company structure, which a lot of places do and Netflix might, I have no idea, but that's something that I think React Native is nice for because, and we, I see this at ThoughtBot a lot, when you have with web projects, you know, because our, so many of our designers, all of them know how to code, they can pair with the backend developers and they can work together. Whereas on mobile designers, it's harder to get designers who know how to code for mobile. So the more you can be working with other people and learning from other people, I just think it's better. Yeah. Awesome. So anything that yeah. enables that type of workflow is right. definitely worth looking into. Yeah. We just wish it wasn't JavaScript, I Exa guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could just do it with types. I'd be totally sold. <laughs> well, you have the Kotlin to React. So now you just yes. need the Kotlin to React Native yeah. bridge. And there you go. Yeah. And that would be just the most hilarious full circle kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go outside so I can come back inside so I can be inside, which is all I wanted to be in the first place, but just a roundabout kind of way. That reminds me of like, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, somebody shared a link that was like React Native Web. And it was like to run React Native on the web. And like, I was like, I don't, I'm so, I, I literally yeah. did not get it. I yeah. was like, why would you need to do this? Yeah. And then just the other day, there was a project that came along where Chad was like, oh, so we have this React Native mobile app and now they want a website. And I was yeah. like, oh. yeah, this is it. <laughs> there's this thing. I don't yeah. know what its state is, but yeah. somebody should look into this. Like yeah. maybe this is, this yeah. is, this is our chance. I get it now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So talking yeah. about going, going all the way outside to get back in again. Yeah. So. All yeah. right. Should we wrap up? I think so. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 136. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. Feedback about this episode, tweet us at underscore yeah. bikeshed, email us, host, host at bikeshed.fm. Yeah, especially if you liked comment it. Comment on the website. Yeah. Cool. Well, happy holidays. <laughs> that's generally what you say. Oh, oh but that I is think what I, I like that. Let's go with it. <laughs> I was just I was like, yeah, no, that sounds like no, let's those, are woods. those let's are woods. Let's keep it. Let's go with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, uh, Happy holidays. We may have one more coming to you between Christmas and New Year's, but maybe not. But uh, I don't know. We'll see you when we see you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.